here. We're moving forward with episode 454, and I've got a great guest today. Uh, actually, this is a little bit of a reunion of sorts. So I have my friend Mia Nazaro on today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. And we're recording this a little bit before the air date, so I'm still within the window to say Happy New Year, Mia. Happy New Year's to you. It's going to be a yeah. good year. Yeah. Did you have a good holiday? I did. I got to see my parents and then the children and I experimented with new Christmas recipes um, since we're now a gluten-free and lactose-free or lactose-light household. So oh, wow. my baking and cooking skills were put to the test. And, and how has that experiment gone so far? There's some winners and some not so much winners but that's i think that's also the spirit of you know even entrepreneurism you try things and you see what works and what doesn't and then you go back and you refine and you just keep going and you learn right yeah and that <laughs> like taking very, that into the kitchen that could very well be the theme of today's episode well mia you and i go way back in fact before we started we were just catching up a little bit and uh, i it's hard to believe. I mean, uh, we met when you were in law school and I was in my former career and my former life. And, you know, we've kind of kept in touch over the years, but this is actually the first time I think we've seen each other since then. So it's kind of, it's kind of crazy to, to think of all that time that's gone in between. I know it seems like it was just yesterday and it definitely wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, it feels like it was yesterday to me, but uh, it I, does. I want to catch up with you and I'd love for my uh, listeners to learn more about you. So uh, fill in a little bit of the background. I mean, tell our listeners what you do and um, where you're located and, you know, anything else you'd like to share. So I'm currently located in Seattle, Washington, and I have a firm, Nazaro, and we specialize in working with businesses. So anything from small business to high growth businesses, all privately held. And we firmly believe that legal services should be driving revenue. It shouldn't just be a cost center. It should be adding to the business. And we also want to listen to our clients, which seems so obvious. But so many times people feel like they're just a number at a law firm, um, you know, just part of the book of business for an attorney. And for us, we really want to make sure that we're listening to our clients' purpose, their vision, what some of their boundaries might be in their life um, in terms of the the management of work and home life. Um and also understand that everybody has a different level of capacity, especially if you're in a caregiving role, whether you're taking care of you know, people in my generation are now in a sandwich generation. Yeah, You could be caring for children and or parents or others. And those responsibilities dictate how much energy and capacity you have to put in towards your venture. And so we really try and understand that holistic part of a person who's either a key officer, a founder, a key um, equity holder, and really try to figure out how can we make this business work for the people behind the business, creating the culture that they want and the benefits that they need to receive sooner rather than later. And so from that, I really look at it as a counselor in law perspective in the old fashioned sense of the word. And I have spent the last 20 years in different executive positions, operations, risk management. We've expanded internationally at another business, um, finance. And so I take a lot of those experiences and pull them into our law practice. So we focus on how are we going to make sure that you can ex execute this agreement, whatever that is. Yeah. 
does this really speak to the growth of the company? And before you sign, how can we reduce risk in a way that's manageable for you in a way that you can satisfy the agreement? And that gets us into other tidbits with our clients oftentimes. And so they go and find additional support as they need it. But I want my clients to know that they can fulfill their obligations and that this is within the value system and ethos of their company. And that's just really important to me, whether you're a small local business or you're a high growth business looking for your next round of funding. Well, that's fantastic. Well, I, I, I love that you've shared both your practice, but also it sounds like your purpose in pursuing your practice. So I, I have to ask you, is this what you intended to do when you were in law school? Did you know that this was the path that you were going to take uh, in your post-law school life? When I was in law school, I intended to drop out. Did you really? Oh, I, I did. Um, I was in school during um, the DC sniper shootings was, um, and yeah. I, I left because I lived in Maryland uh, uh-huh. on the border, went to school in DC and it was too nerve wracking for me. I mean, you can't even get gas. And I, you know, for people who aren't aware of it, it was just a very tense time in DC because it, it was random. So I left to go see my grandmother and I spent about a week and a half, two weeks with her and my grandfather. My parents happened to be there and I really did some self-exploration. I wasn't feeling I was getting what I needed out of law school, but at the same time, you don't have credit for halfway. And so I decided I needed to make it what I needed, not what everybody else was doing. Yeah. I wasn't going to fit in that cooker cutty, that cookie cutter mold because I didn't have the same ultimate vision. I wanted to be successful, but I had to start defining what that meant, not what it meant to other people. And so when I went back to school, I had already had a business degree from UT Austin. I was part of the business honors program. Very fortunate to take MBA level classes. I got all those classes um, recognized by my university for law school. So I was able to take MBA level classes that were electives and a lot of fun. And so I was able to start creating a law degree path that included strategy consulting and finance and having some more holistic richness around it that made it also fun and exciting. I started my own business back then too. Figured now was the time. I had nothing to lose. Um, And so I finished law school and I was well on my way to becoming a serial entrepreneur. And when I look back now, the vision that I had is, is very similar to what I had at that point in law school, which was success to me was being able to have a family that I could spend time with, which if you work at big law is not always possible. And it is also having a career that's rewarding because I get to help people. I get to be a professional enabler and help people realize their vision. I get to realize my own vision. And so now when people ask me, well, what would you do if you won the lotto? Um, I would probably go on a very nice vacation. I would probably hire a housekeeper more often, but I would still be doing what I do now. I just wouldn't be so concerned about actually collecting on our bills. <laughs> so, yeah. I think you touch on something that I think is so prevalent. Um, and it's something that I experienced. A lot of my classmates did. And uh, back in my prior career, you know, working with law schools, I saw this a lot uh, with your colleagues and at other schools. It's just this idea of what am I going to do? And then there is that kind of group pressure. You, you, fear the, you feel the pressure, the institutional pressure, the pressure from your mm-hmm. peers. 
that there's a certain path you have to follow. And I like that you're sharing that. Well, A, you did take some time off. I mean, it was obviously it was a it's hard to believe, but that was a really stressful period, I think, for everybody. But then considering, is this really for me? And then redefining it. Uh, that's something not a lot of law students, I think, do until until they end up graduating law school, end up choosing a job that maybe they're not happy with, which actually happened with me. I, uh, um, you know, I went straight through, had that tunnel vision. And then, you know, mm-hmm. when I had my first job out of law school at at a big law firm, uh, realizing midway through, wait a minute, this is not what I signed up for. But you had that epiphany right. at a really... I think at a great point in while in law school, it's kind of a rare thing. Uh, at the time, did that feel difficult? Did it? Because I, I know that when you're in law school, there's so many pressures, external and internal. Oh. Was that hard for you? Yes, to I mean, to that? yes and no. Right? My parents were happy as long as I stayed in school. Um, like, the, the debt is yours, so you figure right. it out. Um, and so they were fine, and. Um, on that trip, which I didn't share before, so I'm part Japanese and um, fourth generation. And my grandmother, this is the only time I've ever heard her say it that I could ever remember, because she was worried about what's happening in D.C. She said, you know, you can stay as long as you want. This is always your home. We love you. If you are Asian American, <laughs> you understand how big that is to come from your grandmother like that. Um, and I think in this weird way, that actually was the the crucial anchor. I wasn't looking to please my grandparents, but knowing that it really didn't matter what my profession was, I was loved and supported. And my parents were there echoing that same message. And so I was able to go back to law school. And even though my friends thought I was a little crazy, I did what I wanted. And I still took the classes that I needed to take, but I took the classes that interested me that were more in line with what my my actual business interests were, which was around entrepreneurism and international law. And that helped me because I always had my own self-contentment to go back to. I knew what my purpose was. And I will say the first venture I started, which I had for many years until 2019, it went through different iterations. And at one point, it was a couple of years after law school, I was burnt out. I mean, you are responsible for everything. I had a small staff. I was working. I mean, I was in my 20s, so I was manageable. But I was working from like 8 or 9 a.m. in the morning until 11 p.m. at night. I was passionate about it, but I didn't know much. I mean, looking back on it, I knew nothing. And so I decided I needed a sabbatical from my from my job, my my business. So I went to big law because did you know, if you go to a big law firm, you're only expected to do one thing and that's draft documents and review documents. That's it. You're not responsible for accounting and marketing and PR and everything else, finance. And so I did that for a short while and then realized that, yeah, that wasn't for me either. And I now knew how to prioritize, how to manage my time better. I learned so many skills while there in addition to the legal skills. And so I went back into the business that I had my staff running in my absence. So I luckily had a safe place to land. And then I really grew the business from there. Well, you know, you also hit on something that I think is pretty rare. It's it's rare to find lawyers who are also entrepreneurs. I mean, obviously, there are practitioners who uh, run their own businesses 
but it's not usually one that goes hand in hand. I, and in fact, I've had this conversation with a lot of my my colleagues, ones who have left, especially the ones who have left law to go into business. Um, they're usually thought of as as just opposite sides. You know, you've got the legal side. Uh, which has its its own kind of, almost that left brain, and then you've got the the business side, which is going to be a more of the risk taker, the the creative. So let's talk about your entrepreneurial background. I'd love to hear if you if you wouldn't mind sharing uh, what what were some of the businesses that you did. Okay, so my first business yeah. so it wasn't a real business because I didn't understand that there were even taxes outside of the sales tax. Um, I was in junior high and I watched Medicine Man, so that will probably date me. Um, on VHS, and Wait, is that the, <laughs> which is a big the deal with Sean Connery? Mm-hmm. And okay. he finds a cure to cancer been... in the rainforest with the ants. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. I'm sorry if I'm reading that for anybody. Spoiler alert! But you know, it's like 30 plus years old. I think we're we're past the statute of limitations, as they say on on spoilers for movies in the 90s. So. So, um, so I watched that and I decided that I was going to save the rainforest because the cure for cancer might be there. Right. I mean, I was in junior high. So we started an, an organization. I started it. Um, I don't remember what it stands for, but the acronym was forever. Okay. With a very long and meaningful name out of that acronym. Mm-hmm. And we did fundraisers, we did garage sales, we were creating a coloring book to sell at the local grocery store, we started a recycling program at my junior high, and expanded it, we did a lot of really cool stuff. And that was my eighth grade year. And then we moved. So that went down. But that was my first taste of it. And my parents fully supported me, my friends, parents supported me. I mean, we were kids having a garage sale, collecting stuff from all of our neighbors. And we raised money, we did buy rainforest. And after that, I realized I really enjoyed essentially what's business development. And I didn't mind asking people for things. And I continued on that path from school organization perspective, through high school and college. And in college at the business honors program at UT Austin, we were responsible for creating a new business our first year. And technically it was supposed to be on paper. Okay. My group came up, this is before the big trend. It was about two years before um, we were going to do frozen ice cream. Frozen yogurt wasn't, didn't exist really. So we were going to do soft serve frozen ice cream. We had this great idea. It was actually so good that we were trying to get funding for it mm-hmm. and space on campus. And it kind of it ended up falling through because gosh, there's so much red tape at a public university. You cannot believe it. Though we were meeting with people and I realized like I liked that. <laughs> and I will say in our defense, we had a great idea because two, two and a half years later, some major frozen yogurt places opened up on Guadalupe Street. <laughs> so it was like the main street where all the kids go. And so um, we were on the right track, understanding demand in our area and how to satisfy it. So I just, you know, for the record, even though it didn't, never took off off the of paper, but um, that led me to doing some work with NASA through the university as well, doing market planning. And we got to go to special competition. When we found out the Vomit Comet wasn't the actual prize, I will say our motivation decreased during the day of the presentation, because we were so excited about potentially winning the Vomit Comet. Um, the, the, they, okay, now explain what that is. Oh, the Vomit Comet is that plane that they do training in. It goes all, up, 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 oh, okay. and then it just down. Like that zero, and you, zero G. Uh, okay, I didn't know that's what they called it. 
you get to float, right? And we're like, that would be awesome. And then we were kind of in a depressive state during our presentation because there was, no, was there not- was no Vomit Comet prize. It was feel good prize. Oh. <laughs> but all of that through school gave me, because I had, we had raised money for this um, project. We were doing a, a manned mission to Mars. We were exploring what it would take to do that from a lobbying perspective. But we had to raise money to find a trip to DC. We got money from NASA as well, but we needed to raise additional money. We ended up getting money from major companies. And so being behind that fundraising effort as one of the co-directors, I was uh, the co-director from the undergraduate program. It was absolutely thrilling. We were in DC without supervision. I mean, that was crazy. I don't know what our director was thinking. And we got to meet with congressional leaders. We got to meet with leading scientists. And that really cemented that I liked doing my own thing, even if my own thing was dictated by the university, being able to explore my intellectual curiosity was amazing. And then when I was in law school and decided that I needed my own path, I decided, well, people are asking me for free advice anyway on building small businesses. So I'm just going to start charging. I'm not going to give it away for free anymore. And that was the beginning of my first actual business. And it really took off from there. I I did learn that when you charge, people aren't as interested in hiring you um, as you are when you're free. But it also allowed me to prioritize who I worked with. But the flip side is true too, Mia, is that if you give it away for free, fewer people are actually going to follow through on it. So Absolutely. so, uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, what's incredible to me is that you had all of these entrepreneurial experiences early on that most people uh, who go into business only gain or only start to to gain later on, especially if they start their own practice, whether they're a lawyer or were an, were an entrepreneur. So, I, well, and I think I think you get these skills too, right? I mean, you're you're gaining all these different types of skills along the way, and. And once I did start my own business, I also started other businesses every so often as a secondary business or a tertiary business. And and so I've been in multiple industries as a founder. Has every business been a success? No. We closed some businesses so fast, but we learn. We learned so much from every venture. So now I talk to clients and they tell me what business they're in. And I can legitimately say, oh, I was in that space about five years ago. And yes, I do understand the regulations involved, the compliance involved very personally. Um, And so it just gives you a different flavor to it. And it keeps life a little spicy. And I I am not a neurotypical person either. Um, I wasn't going to fit into a law firm. And I I probably wouldn't fit into a regular large enterprise either. So this is a good fit for me. And I love to meet people and learn their stories and learn their passions and start to learn more about different industries and visions of the future. To me, that's just exhilarating. Oh, that's fantastic. And and that is such value you're bringing to your clients because you've got both the business side, you've got the actual hard-nosed experience with it, but then you're also bringing your legal expertise. So I would love to know, I mean... uh, so you've done so many things and and you've clearly had uh, a very varied path, as they say. So what's been the biggest challenge for you? I think recognizing my own capacities, my own limits and 
and not, you know, we all have to do stuff that we don't enjoy. We all have to do stuff that we may not be the best at, but needs to be done for our job. Whatever our job is, whether we work for ourselves or somebody else, I think the hardest part for me was understanding how to ask for help Hmm. when I really did need it and how to budget for that too and how to be okay that I don't have to know how to do everything or I just need to be able to get it to like a viable part and then hand it off. But being okay handing it off. And I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is you get so used to being in control. And I, and I put that in quotes because in control, we, we aren't in control of very much. We're only in control of ourselves. And so the business is, is adapting and growing and changing and you have to be able to change with it. And that includes allowing other people at the table. It includes a, a level of transparency in your risk-taking, in your commitments, shared expectations, and then allowing other people to take that ball and run with it because you can only do so much and you cannot micromanage that process. You have to trust the team that you're building. And I think that that's always been difficult for many entrepreneurs and I've gotten better and better at it over the years. And and I think I'm also at a point in my life where I, I don't want to do all of that work anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so not that the, makes it easier. Not always the best but I also know what I do really well and what is more challenging. And so I'm finding people to fill those gaps who I can trust and who I think have have a shared vision of what I'm trying to grow. And how did you get over that? I think that is a common challenge among many self-starters people, especially people who have an entrepreneurial spirit. They're used to kind of being the one in the in the trenches and doing everything, especially starting out. So how did you get over that? And or how do you get over that? I think I had a conversation with an with an older gentleman at one point. Um, I can't remember who it was, but he was a, an executive leader. He run so many businesses before. And he pointed out, he said, you have this one path that looks like a straight line. And you want everybody to be on that straight line. That's a very typical behavior that we have said, but it's okay to let people deviate from your straight line, as long as you're going in the same direction and it's running more or less parallel and then intersecting and interweaving with yours because two people don't operate the same way. And you don't know if by giving them that leeway, that flexibility, how much they will truly be able to grow in in ways and capacities you couldn't even imagine because their brain is functioning differently. They have different resources and connections. And I've seen that. So I've seen the result of that. And I think it goes down. There's a model for um, words of directors. So you can either create policies that say you shall do A, B, and C, which is very limiting, or you shall do everything except Hmm. X, Y, and Z. So when you do the accept, you're allowing your executive team to really take the ball because you have a shared vision and you have limitations, boundaries around behavior, culture, expectations, business modeling. But within those parameters, grow the business, build something beautiful. And now you're allowing people to bring all of their talents to the table instead of fitting in a box. And I think that that concept has helped me a lot. And I still have to go through moments in my own business where I have to sit down and, you know, usually it's coming after I'm really stressed and I realize that's because I'm trying to force something to happen that can't happen. I need to rely on my team and I have to let go for my own mental health. I have to let go, but I'm now able to have that self-talk a little bit more easily. 
Well, that, I think that is an important lesson. I, I imagine that's probably one you have to counsel your clients on quite a bit as well. Yes, some of them are more open to hearing that. Some are not quite there. Well, speaking, speaking of which, into I, differing degrees. <laughs> I imagine so. Well, me, I uh, speaking of which, when you're working with businesses, especially now, uh, I think compared to when both of us were in school, we are kind of in an era uh, where entrepreneurship has become far more mainstream. Um, what are some best practices or pieces of advice that you have for new founders or new business? new businesses in general? Where do you usually start when you're working with a prospective client? What are some of the things that you bring up in that initial conversation? So if you haven't even started your business, you're at the very beginning, you need to think about why you're doing it. If you're doing it because you're doing it out of fear or desperation, this is not the right choice. It's just not. There's a lot at stake. You're going to lose time that you could have spent looking for a typical job. And this being an entrepreneur requires a lot of skill sets. Um, we laugh at work because even people who are high-level executives aren't well-suited to be an entrepreneur because they're so used to asking other people to do stuff for them. They've forgotten sometimes how to do things themselves. You're going to have to figure out how to be your own IT person. I mean, it's, it's that fundamental. And so really exploring the why behind it. And then once you're okay with that why and it really fits in with your life path, then really decide who you're going to have as a support structure around you. doesn't mean you have to bring in other partners into your venture. I actually don't advise that. Um, It gets very complicated very fast. But who's going to be your support system, your trusted advisors, bringing in professionals like the CPAs, the bookkeepers, the lawyers, Anybody that's specific to your industry for compliance, if it's highly regulated, you know, your your key tech people, if you're technology, but really bringing in the people that can offer you a different perspective. You don't have to put them on the board. You can create a board of advisors, but have them add to your strategic worth of your company as you are building out your business model as you're building out that business plan and start thinking through a true budget and how you're going to do sales. I think that's one of the key parts that's missing in many businesses. I have heard so many times, well, we only are looking for 1% of the market and that's $10 billion or $100 million. Well, that's great. How are you going to get there? What, What does that look like? Because if you can't substantiate that, you're not going to make it. It doesn't matter how good my legal advice is. You don't have a working model. And so it comes down to this is how we're going to do sales. We're going to have this many contacts. This is going to be the pipeline. These are the metrics involved. And really understanding that is important because then when I'm helping you from the legal side, we're able to form the correct type of company in the right state. We're able to create an operating agreement if you have an LLC, which is your governance document that really helps you to guide the development of the company from a governance perspective. And then as we're going through and making all these agreements that you're going to need with staff, with sales agreements or consulting agreements, we're able to push in all of the parts of the strategic vision appropriately into these documents so that your company as a whole company that's fully integrated with your vision. And then it becomes a little bit easier to start that journey. But you have to rely on others. You have to have a trusted support system and be okay being vulnerable, sharing what is a challenge, sharing what is tripping you up a little bit so that people can't help you. Most people want to help. They want you to be successful. And if you surround yourself with others like that, 
you're you're going to be okay and your business might fail and that's okay too because you're going to get up you're going to do it again or do something different you're going to do a different model you're going to figure out what works what doesn't work it's addictive and so i i just i think it's a wonderful journey for those who are okay with the ups and downs it's not for those who need a lot of stability at all you have to be willing to take risks it, it kind of calls back to what you were saying was your biggest challenge and the ability to ask and I think that is a powerful mm -hmm. tool to have in your, your toolkit. So mm -hmm. I love that you share. And it's scary. Yeah. Oh. It's scary to ask. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it's scarier if you don't, though. <laughs> so, <That's> absolutely. <laughs> More dangerous. Well, Mia, I, I absolutely loved what you shared today. Uh, where can our listeners find you? And I'd love for you to talk about you have an upcoming course. Yes. So we have an upcoming course at Johns Hopkins University in their Odyssey program. It starts at the end of January, I believe, the very beginning of February. I can't remember the first date, um, but it runs for five weeks. And it's for entrepreneurs, those who have just started a business or getting ready to start a business so that you can understand the legal fundamentals behind starting a business, things that you need to keep in mind. Well, I want you to hire an attorney to help you at the very least get the education you need to make educated and informed decisions during your journey. And so we'll go over everything from what to think about as you're forming the company to how to think about issues and those first typical contracts and agreements that you're going to enter into. And if anybody wants to get a hold of me, we are at Nazario Law. N as in Nancy, A double Z's and Zebra, A R O law.com. My name is Mia, M I Y A. Feel free to email me. We have our calendar on there. You can schedule a complimentary initial consultation. Tell us a little bit about what your needs are. Learn about how we work and function as a firm a little bit more and see if we, we would be a good fit. And we also offer um, intensive classes. So if you are looking, you know, typical legal services are too expensive. We get that. We offer different options. We have general counsel packages that start at $600 a month. We offer formation intensives that are centered around the ability to create community among our client entrepreneurs while doing a hybrid of group education sessions and individual powered by attorney work, uh, attorney client privilege, um, work products. So you're getting your company formed, you're getting your own customized operating agreement and consulting agreements. But all of that is that one on one, but you have that group environment, and we're moving you along the path. So you don't have to think about what's next, you can just go to the next session. Um, so we have different options for people that work in different ways, we all think differently, and we all have different constraints. So hopefully something is there for you. And we also have our companies on LinkedIn. And if you type in Nazaro, it should show up. And we'd love for you to follow us and see new opportunities. We're going to start posting blogs and articles um, within the next couple of weeks. Oh, so take a look and follow. Awesome. And uh, again, moving forward, listeners, you got a lot of great information from Mia, learned a lot about you uh, that I didn't know, which was really cool. And we'll have more information for episode 454 at the website, bemovingforward.com. Mia, I want to thank you so much for taking time out to speak with me today to catch up. It's been way too long. Yes. I'm really excited about everything you're doing. Thanks so much. Well, thank you for having me. And thank you for your listeners for taking the time to be a part of my journey, even if it's for this little bit. I look forward to meeting any of you that I can help support in any way. All right, Mia. Thanks right. so much. For more information, head over to bemovingforward.com. The views expressed by any featured guests are not necessarily those of the host, the program, or affiliates. 
Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and BeMovingForward.com. All rights reserved.